welcome to the Mindsets Podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. And today, we have a special guest. We have a hockey player. Yes, yes, indeed, we have a hockey player. Um, just to tell you a little bit about them, they competed at the 2016 Olympics with their national side, Brazil. In addition, they've also competed at the Pan American Games, Pan American Cup, World Hockey League, the South American Championships, and South American Games. Edwin has told me offline that he was looking forward to this and felt he should have probably played hockey a little bit more in his early days. Myself, I've always liked hockey, but um, unfortunately, it wasn't really offered to us at high school, secondary school level. So we're really looking forward to this episode and without further ado, a massive warm welcome to Steph Verley-Smith. How are you, sir? Thanks guys for having me. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. <laughs> right. So Steph, we're going to start off as we love to start off at Mind Talks is really a reflection going back to your first memory of um, a sport, either playing or living. So what was your first living memory? It must have been watching the Brazil football team, probably around five years old, um, sitting on my dad's lap. I'm, I'm going to have a stab um, of a guess. But, yeah, I think it was watching probably a World Cup or something like that, watching the, the likes of Romario and, and Rivaldo and, and those guys who... I very much um, looked up to and, and idolized. Um, so it was definitely, I would say, football um, was my first kind of interaction with with sport. Yeah. Okay. And for those listening, they're wondering, okay, you've got English accent. So, <laughs> so explain a little bit about your um, your background. Yeah, so I'm British and Brazilian. I, uh, I was born in Brazil and I was adopted um, about six months old by my parents who are my mother's French and my dad's English. I grew up, grew up in Kent um, in the southeast region of England and yeah, did all my sport. I studied at university at Oxford Brooks University, so um, moved away from the southeast region. But apart from that was, was there all my life until I picked up and moved to New York um, after the Olympics. Okay. Okay. Now, there's always diverse answers to this question, and it's about family support. So, can you tell us um, the, the impact that your, you know, your parents had on you um, when introducing you into team sports? My dad started taking me to local cricket, rugby, hockey clubs, which were around and football. Yeah, I definitely took a liking to football more. Um, and as I said, I think that just ties back to, I mean, the Brazil teams back then were by far the best. Um, yeah. And so I think every little kid wanted to be, you know, like those players. So I definitely gravitated towards football a lot more than the other sports initially, but I just love competing, um, ever since I can remember and used to get very annoyed if I <laughs> would lose. So you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was in me from very early on. And uh, my parents helped me driving me around the country, getting to different games and, and tournaments and such. 
Now, at what point did you decide that hockey was the way forward out of all the sports that you played? Um, honestly, I think it was because I was doing better with hockey. Okay. Um, I, I, as I said, football was always my number one sport. I enjoyed that the most, but I was getting further with hockey. Um, I was playing with older age groups, older boys, mm. getting bossed most of the time, but um, I was, you know, doing what I what I could, and I was playing an equal amount of sport. Yeah. And then it basically, as I got older into my teens, I just put more into hockey okay. because I felt like I could go somewhere serious with it. Mm. And I did love it, of course. Yeah. You know, I did. I did love it. So I want to take it all the way back. So when I think of, I don't know, boxing, I think the first thing that they try and teach you is really how to jab or even how to punch correctly, um, you know, your footwork. And I guess for me, um, when I when I think of hockey, all I think of is just whacking the ball. And it's completely more technical and definitely there's a lot more to it. So I guess for the listeners, what was the first few things? What were the first few, I guess, actions that you had to learn? What were the very basics that you had to learn in the early stages? I would say that's actually pretty fair when I first started because I started playing on grass. Um, so you did whack it and run. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, you know, you did need to develop stick and ball skills. Yeah. And uh, a good friend of my dad's, um, Paul Sorensen, uh, he gave me an old stick, which his son used to use. Yeah. And it was a wooden stick. It was, and he, he gave it to me and he, um, he basically said, just drag the ball left to right. Mm. And I just did that slowly. Didn't really have much control at the beginning. And every night I was just practicing in my bedroom, driving my mum nuts. <laughs> um, and yeah, just basically being able to manipulate and move the ball in, in all areas. And then just trying to apply that with pressure, yeah. which is a completely different situation. So I used to simulate that in my head, actually, okay. when I was quite young. Um, but yeah, spatial awareness being able to make a pass and move very similar to other sports and trying to create space and, and create time. Like they, a lot of coaches say, you know, with your first touch and, and everything. Yeah. Um, so those are some, some basics, which actually are complicated at the same time. Absolutely. Um, as you, you play at a high level. Interesting. You said what you used to do in terms of um, working from side to side. And sometimes people might look at things like that and think that's pretty boring, but they don't realize that it's, it's also those type of things being um, just practicing again and again and again and again, that makes the difference. And uh, did you find that for yourself? Yeah, I think in hindsight, it was probably quite therapeutic. I was an only child. Yeah. I didn't, um, it sounds sad, doesn't it? I didn't have anyone to play with, but um, you know, I had to kind of create, I, I imagined a lot when I was younger. So I was always on a, out in the garden. I was always imagining being on a field with seven to 11 other players, um, on my team. So I was multiple players all the time, mm -hmm. but I think it's just about, yeah, just kind of entertaining yourself as a kid and, and also just wanting to get better. Like, as I said, I, I, I hated to lose. 
Um, and I was very stubborn. So if I couldn't do a skill, I just wanted to do it over and over behind closed doors until I could get it and then showcase it in a game or, or whatever it was. Joining a team, so joining you know, your first hockey team, how, what were the dynamics on, from your perspective? How did you slot in and what were your feelings in the early stages of really trying to get yourself into this team and you know, just being in a, com um, a comfortable environment? I wasn't too concerned um, within my own age group. Yeah. Um, and then as I started getting bumped into, bumped up into other age groups, you know, I was playing with under 14s, under 15s when I was 12, 10. And I was, my skill level was, was as good or better as a lot of, a lot of them, but mm -hmm. they were, I was very small and slight. They, so I would get bossed off the ball a lot. Um, so it was it was hard in that sense where I didn't feel like I was enough in that space, but I knew from a skill standpoint that I could compete with anyone on the field. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just about trying to kind of get comfy and get that belief system going, really. Yeah. Um, and that's why coaches are so important um, and having that support system with your friends and family as, uh, as well. Yeah. In, t in terms of belief, you just mentioned coach as well. Was it for yourself, did you have to be told by people that you were good or did you realize that from quite a young age? I mean, I figured it out that why would I be playing with older boys if I wasn't able to? Mm. Um, and even when I went into my teens, started playing for the men's team when I was 15. I think I may have been 14. Um, yeah, it was... I mean, I heard it from, from coaches and people around me. Oh, he's quick. Oh, he's skillful. Um, but I've always fixated on other people who are better than me. So I always brought myself down and I never got comfy or um, cocky in that sense. I may have come off that, but I definitely didn't feel it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I just ignored that aspect and just tried to improve as, as much as I could. Okay. I remember, um, so going back, I remember I was playing football under 18s and this young boy was about 15. He had experience playing for a professional club. Um, it was Fulham. And I remember at 15 when he was training with us, he was unbelievable. I wouldn't say the best player, but he was unbelievable. But a lot of us gave him a lot of stick. And, you know, we, we used to kick him off the park. And in yeah. some respects, we didn't really respect him. So I guess my question to you is, did you ever feel the pressure of having to fit in with the older age group? Or did they take you under their wing? Um, how, how was it being with the older um, age groups? I think it it depends when you look at it. Because when I was you know, junior years, you turn up, you play, everyone goes home afterwards. Okay. But yeah. as I started getting into that kind of 14, 15, 16 age bracket yeah, and playing for men's teams, you know, they were, they had the banter, the locker room banter. They, ha they were having the beers afterwards. You know, there were, there were drinking games, there were dares, you know, and I had to do all the stuff which mm. you know you've been ordered about i'm sure you guys um <laughs> are familiar with that um so i definitely had some uh, you know guys in the in the team 
usually the the older the older guys who would kind of look after me and mm. and tell me what to entertain and what to do and what to just kind of get my head down and and get on with but yeah you, you it's, it just kind of comes with the territory doesn't it you um you just have to kind of live through it and then when you get past that and you've i guess shown what you can do and what you're capable of you earn your respect you earn um your placement in the team yeah but it definitely depends at what age you're kind of talking about i think yeah match day so when match day comes are you were you someone that suffered from nerves or did you take everything in your stride um i think it would depend i got better i at the start i think i it would depend on what the game meant um and i remember in my mid-teens playing with some international players and one of them said to me afterwards they said you could be a really good player um the trouble is is you play a nine out of ten one week an eight out of ten the following week and then you'll be five out of ten five out of ten and you need to build that consistency so i think i was more nervous about trying to produce and not let teammates around me down yeah. rather than turn up and do the thing to beat the other team yeah um which you know i think as you get more experienced you you become desensitized to it but yeah. you it's still there i think it's anyone who says it's never there or it's gone i don't know if i truly believe them i just think they're able to deal with it and cope with it differently and apply it um probably in a more efficient and positive way okay going back to your competitive nature and you, you know you had that from you know quite early do you think that enhanced your game? Because when I look at some, I, I don't know, like I look at some footballers, I look at Wayne Rooney, I look at Roy Keane, and they had that edge. And I do think mm. that, that that propelled them to, to you know, to, to the next level. Do you think that helped you or in some respect, do you think that hindered you? Where, where do you think you stand on that? Um, I definitely wasn't a Roy Keane or a Wayne Rooney, <laughs> um, which I, I do believe, though, that, if you're going to compete at a high level, um, you do need to be able to dig deep and have that grit about you. Yeah. Um, it can look different. You know, you, I've played alongside some real hotheads in my time and they're absolutely top class as well. Um, but that was a, a huge negative to their game. Yeah. So I think if you can try and marry that up with, you know, being still being able to perform and stay on the pitch. I wasn't getting sent off or getting red cards or anything. I mean, I might have been simbin for a little bit of petty fouling and whatever, but um, no, I, I think, yeah, it kind of stopped at me just hating to lose, hating my opposite number run past me or skill me or something. I would, yeah, I took a lot of pride about yeah. not being owned basically. Um, and of course it happens. Um, but no, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't getting into trouble <laughs> like some of those guys you listed. <laughs> Be, being in a team dynamic, um, did 
sometimes we see certain players and maybe in football and other sports where they react negative to criticism from a coach. How were you when you would get criticized by your coach? I think, I don't actually think um, I was very good. Um, I don't think in general for a lot of my youth and probably in my early twenties as well. I don't think it wasn't the fact that I was being criticized. It was more the fact that I hated the fact that I wasn't what was hoped for. So Seth, we need you to do this or you're not doing that or you're, you're not that good or you're not, um, particularly efficient in this department. I think I just was so annoyed that either I overlooked it or couldn't manage to just get it. Um, when I was putting in the work. So I think it was more that, um, definitely a lot of ego involved. Um, but I just wanted to, I honestly, I really wanted to be the best, um, all the time. And I think that probably did me over because I expected too much for myself. Um, and then I think as I got older, I just kind of backed off a little bit, tried to look around me and, and see what my role was. And yeah, I think going into my twenties, I just, I was able to manage that a lot better, but, um, yeah, you've, as a, as a young person, as a sports person, you've got to be able to take critique. Otherwise it will limit you. And it probably did limit me. I'm sure it did. Like I, I'm sure I didn't utilize my athleticism and speed and everything to my full potential. Um, yeah, it, it just it just is sometimes, unfortunately. How do you how do you balance the uh, the mindset that you want to be the best, but then you come to the realization that it might be potentially crippling you because your expectations are far too high, and then you then come to the realization actually, look, maybe I need to lower my expectations but mm. where do you find a balance how, how did you find a balance knowing that you're not um lowering your expectations too much how did you find that balance i don't think i i found a, uh, a good balance actually until probably too late honestly yeah. um i i was just very annoyed that i wasn't as good as i wanted to be most of the time i think yeah um, going into training sessions with teammates by myself on match day, I always expected way more, you know, I was really fit. I was skillful. Um, wasn't the most intelligent, um, on the field with regards to, um, you know, applying all the kind of skills you need to, you know, spatial awareness and and making the right pass like i was good yeah but again you just pair yourself up against other people who are world class and you go i'm not that good and so i think that probably was a limiting factor is i looked at people who were were honestly world class and expected to be like that all the time when it just wasn't the case um and then in the later years of my career, probably maturity as well was probably a big factor, but I just kind of knew my place um, and knew how I could influence the game and just did what I needed to do and, and, and kind of left it at that. Not to say I didn't try to grow still, but um, 
yeah, it was definitely later on. And I would say for the most part, um, yeah, I didn't have a, a healthy balance, actually. Uh-huh. I think I was down on myself quite a bit. Yeah. What, what do you think you could have done different that would have made um, an impact early on in your career? Probably not being afraid to ask for help. I think I asked for help too late. I was given a lot of guidance growing up, but I didn't really seek it. Um, I watched a lot. Yeah. I watched my favorite players. I watched teammates who were doing really well, who were getting awards, you know, domestically, internationally, individual awards. I was watching them and trying to copy them, mm. which is fine. I, I don't think that's a problem. But I think, you know, you need to ask coaches and other players who are better than you. Maybe, hey, can you spend an hour or two with me and, and I really want to improve and, and just try and, yeah, ask people around you. Um, I think I was, I was too stubborn. I, was too, I, I think it was just ego again. I, I just, that brought me down. And uh, I could have done with more guidance probably. Yeah. But that, I don't blame anyone else. I think that was on me. Okay. With regards to hockey, so what was talk to us about the position you played, and talk to us about what were the main instructions? What was the main function um, in that position, and what did you have to do? I've actually uh, had multiple roles in teams, um, partly because of age, um, experience. And then the ability of the team. Yeah. Um, so I've played in some good teams and some poor ones. And so I've been the little fish and I've also been the big fish, as it were. Um, so I've played from up front, scoring goals, all the way back to sweeper, defender. Yeah. You know, so yeah, across the park, really. But I've loved playing midfield. That's my go-to position. If you're going to ask me where where do you want to play, if the coach is asking you, you know, it's going to be midfield, helping the attack. I'm attack-minded, um, attacking-minded, and uh, that was that was kind of my favourite place to kind of express myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. On Mind Talks, we talk a lot about sports psychology. We talk a lot about mentality. When you were playing hockey, was any of that offered to you so in terms of um psychologists sports psychologists did they have that in place over there well remember most of my hockey was well all of my hockey actually was in england at this until mm, 20 when i was 21 22 yeah um so not really um i don't there was never a someone coming in and helping teams or at the club from what I remember. Um, and it's very different now, obviously. I think partly it's because of the exposure of the sport, hockey, and it growing and it becoming what it is now. Um, but back then it wasn't, it wasn't that. Um, people, there were very few people getting paid to play for clubs. Um, and that grew as I, as I got older, but, um internationally we had a few people come in and and help us and talk to us about pressure and how to deal with um you know a pressure pass taking on responsibility how to share that responsibility what to do if you miss um an open chance for example um 
yeah, we, we did get exposed to that. And that, that was helpful. Um, for sure would have loved that if I could relive, um, hockey again. Um, I w- that would definitely be something I would have, um, asked for help, um, about for sure. Um, but not much, um, in short for, uh, in answer to your question. Yeah. So you kind of answered the next question, which is, you know, um, you would have utilized it. So I guess if there's an up and coming hockey player um, and they haven't used a sports psychologist, can you just talk about some of the benefits um, as to why potentially they should um, look into speaking to a psychologist? Yeah, I think um, even if it's just reading books, actually, um, or listening to podcasts, like what you guys are doing, you know, as I said at the start, um, is really great. Um, but that wasn't around when I was, when I was younger. Um, yeah, I think it just, it helps you bring a different perspective, a more experienced one, um, and pose you questions as to how to manage the emotion you feel Yeah, because it's completely normal to feel anxious, stressed, um, elated, you know, if you've just scored a goal, um, they say that you're at your most vulnerable because everyone's on a high and your guards dropped and that kind of thing. So it's, it's not just the lows that you get managed or get, um, advised on how to manage it when you're leading, when you're two nil up, three nil up, when you scored or you're on a hat trick, it's, it's the whole thing. Um, so you do need to manage the, the positive emotions and the ones which feel more negative. Um, so it will just help round you as an athlete, um, even if you can't apply it directly or immediately. Yeah. It's something you now know, and you can then, you'll be surprised that you'll then start using it. Yeah. It might not be um, deliberate, but you will start applying that skill. It's a skill. 20. 20- 16. So 2016 obviously was the Rio Olympics. Talk to us how how you felt emotionally to obviously represent Brazil at the Olympics in in Rio. Yeah, it was. Um, we had to qualify for um, our home Olympics because we weren't ranked um, as high as the other nations that would typically. Um, go and compete in the Olympics, even though there's still a qualification process for the other teams. Um, so we, so we qualified at the Pan American games in the year um, before in Toronto. And that was our last chance to qualify. We had messed up, I think two or three chances that we could have actually qualified, um, beforehand, I think in 2014, um, and 2013, perhaps I could be wrong. So there was a lot riding on that. Um, and I've never cried of happiness, but that was the first time I will say where I did drop to my knees and it just felt like the best feeling. It felt like we'd arrived, even though there was a huge road ahead and tons of work to be done. And, you know, you can still not get selected for the Olympics or you could get injured. There's, there's so many things that can still happen. But that initial feeling of a Brazil hockey team is going to the Olympics, that was a huge relief. It was very stressful for the um, for the years 
um, building up to that point. Um, yeah, I find it difficult to sleep a lot of the time because you're just imagining all the things you're imagining not, you know, um, qualifying and what does that mean? And, but then trying to stamp that out so that you, you focus on the positives and, and you entertain that belief system within yourself and the team. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And even, even, um, it was so sweet as well to, to get drawn up against GB as well in the, yeah, yeah. In the group stages. <laughs> um, so that was good fun too. That must have been a weird feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think either seven or nine of the starting, I think probably seven of the starting 11 for Great Britain played for my home club. So I was playing club hockey with those guys and I was playing and all the other um, squad members and team members for GB, I think were playing domestic club hockey as well. They weren't playing international because they had to go up to Bisham Abbey and, and train. Yeah. So I was playing with um, the core group of the GB team and competing against um, a lot of the other guys who also, of course, were very good. Yeah. Um, so I knew what I was getting myself in for into with, with GB and I was trying to pass on as much info to team Brazil and my teammates talking to them, honestly, for the, the whole year, building, building up certain tricks and skills and go-tos that certain players would do. I played with a lot of them since I was 14, 15 playing yeah. representative stuff, um, at junior level. So I knew them pretty well, but you know, we were fighting an uphill battle because we weren't as experienced. Our players hadn't been playing hockey for half as long. It was such a new sport in the country. Um, but we, we did what we could and we, um, we had fun. It was difficult, but yeah, it was, um, it was a, a roller coaster for sure. Always, you know, I always think, and yeah, I always think that, you know, it's, um, I think people really underestimate the, the sheer pressure of being a home Olympian and really trying to perform in front of, you know, your home fans. And you were a, a senior member at that time and you just mentioned the fact that, you know, hockey is still relatively new. Those players haven't even been playing for half the amount of time um, as some of the other countries age team gb so my question to you is how were you being you know that more mature player how are you helping you know the less experience and how are you helping also those who are a lot younger than you um initially um it, it felt like a bit of a crash course because <laughs> trying to bring everyone up to speed of what to expect when we weren't playing those uh, countries on a weekly or monthly basis when they were all playing each other regularly. So they all knew what to expect and they were all, they all had, well, actually, no, not all of them, but most of them had, um, funding and, um, a system in place, okay. um, for them to really thrive. And, and we didn't so much. So I would say the, the first step I took was trying to be quite physical with the lads in Brazil, um, which I, I think um, probably took them, some of them by surprise. I remember getting into a bit of a, um, a situation with one of them because 
I was, which sounds, I know to some people who don't play sport and, but I was hitting him a bit. Um, and he just didn't understand. He, he didn't really, he, what are you doing? This is, you can't do this is against the rules. And I was like, I promise you, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit. You're going to get pushed. You're going to get a stick in the ribs. You're going to get your shirt tugged, um, and more. Um, so that was the first step. And then it was getting in people's ears in training. Um, I was pretty loud and, and trying to aggravate um, players and trying to set up one-on-ones, trying to tell other players that they were not very good. Um, that was probably a polite way of saying it. Um, and um, yeah, it's that's just the way it is. Like, you know what's to come. I'm going back home and I'm playing with guys who on a weekly basis where that's happening and that's normal. Um, so you know, team Brazil and the, the players who are on the outskirts of that team, they needed to know. So even the guy, even outside of the core group, I was trying to get, you know, as many people involved in that sense and talk to people off the pitch and stuff. But I actually think it, it kind of drained me and took away from focusing on myself so much, which, so that was a hard balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but they stepped up hugely from when I first joined to the Olympics, yeah. despite the score lines. Like they really did. Um, like I'm very proud of of where um, Brazil hockey has gone and what they're still doing. It's it's really impressive and it's just experience. That's what yeah. it is. They just have to. You have to go and play the games, feel the pressure, hear the horn, hear the whistle, hear the crowd abusing you. It's all the stuff which sometimes you can't get in training sessions. You have to go and go to tournaments and, and just get owned and, and feel it yeah. and embrace the feeling and then just um, brush yourself down and, and go again. You mentioned crowds. Were there ever times when the crowds were giving severe abuse and members of your team just sink their heads down in shame? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was um, absolutely. And Brazilians, a lot of Brazilians understand Spanish. And so playing in South America, um, you know, you've got, we played against Argentina, Chile, um, uh, Peru, a lot of those uh, countries. And so there were a lot of people shouting stuff from the, from the stands and, and whatnot. Um, until my Spanish improved, because I didn't learn Spanish when I was younger. I didn't really hear a lot of that noise, Mm. Um, but those guys did and they understood and they could interact with the Spanish speaking countries. So there would be some times where, you know, we would need to kind of pull them away from, from that and focus on what's in front of us. Um, And again, experience, you know, will, will show, show that because, you know, if you're less experienced, you, you do, get caught up with everything that's around you and the energy and the energy is strong, especially when the crowd's against you or you're playing against a home team. I mean, I love it. Um, but some, some players do crawl up and they don't perform as well. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about, you know, playing in some good teams and playing in some poor teams. And I guess Edwin and I, due to our team, um, we often explore, um, 
poor team or poor teams and more importantly who are those players who go in hiding and who are those players that will be on the front line so I guess my question to you is when you was playing in those poor teams how did you ensure that you maintained the the high expectations and although you, you was in a poor team and some players maybe were not at your level how did you impose it on yourself that it w- it wasn't going to affect your individual performance i think just trying to talk to players off the pitch it's always difficult when you're in the heat of the moment on the pitch and and something's happened um so again as i got more involved and I was exposed to more training camps and more games and tournaments with the brazil team um I realized I think probably too late actually because I was so tightly strung about doing as best we could I think and and speeding up that process because the Olympics was around the corner or the Pan American Games was around the corner. Yeah. Um I don't think um I was as patient as I I would be now if I were to return. So yeah, just trying to pull people aside and just and talk to them and try and let them know on what other options they may have had and and stuff and then it but then it gets tricky when you then start messing up um because you're trying to you know set a level of expectation and yeah. and a bar for everyone to reach and so then that in itself is quite stressful because then you miss balls or you miss passes and you're going I'm meant to be the guy or one of the guys in this team here that's going to win the game or or be part of the core group but I can't even stop the ball right now because I'm worrying about too many people around me. Yeah. Um and I think a lot of players go through that um especially a lot of my friends who I've spoken to over the years um and not trying to better themselves and and find that balance. Yeah. It's it's difficult. And with your career, at what point did you come to the conclusion that, you know what, it's time for me to to call it a day? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, even though it's probably the case, I don't like to think that I've called it a day. Um, only because I turn 32 next month, but I'm still so young. Mm. And I feel stronger mentally. Um and I know I could get myself into top shape for hockey yeah. um, very quickly. So, yes, it, it looks like, you know, probably knocked it on the head. You know, I've got other goals and things I want to achieve now, but the itch is real. There have been tons of <laughs> yeah. athletes who, you know, two years, five years, ten years on, they go, well, I'm. I think I can compete with those guys and you kind of, you know, rinse, repeat and you, you go again. Um, so, um, I think again, it's just perspective and just it's, it's life, which I think every, every person comes to you. What do you want? What do you want to put your body through? Yeah. That's, that's the big thing. Actually, I started picking up little stupid injuries. Um, uh, I tore my knee, lig- uh, knee ligament right before the, my last competition with Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, about three days before the training camp, and that was about a month out from the competition. 
So I was rehabbing when everyone was meant to be peaking, um, played through half the tournament with a torn knee ligament, wasn't fun. And the same with the Olympics, actually, about a month or two before. Um, I had a, a really bad back injury. And I, I, she couldn't stand up straight. Um, so I was bed bound for a few days and I, I, I couldn't do anything. And that's, that was quite scary. And it's more just, you know, what do I want out of the sport and what, what do I need to give? So, you know, you, you do have to give a lot, um, to get, well, especially if you, if you expect a lot, you, um, you've got to give a lot. So I don't know whether I want to sacrifice everything around me that I've got for that. Um, I think that's really my real answer, probably. Let's explore the injury um, period a little bit more. So one thing that I guess both Ed and I will agree on is that when it comes to injuries, this is something that's not really spoken about. And injuries is part and parcel of, you know, you know team, uh, sport in general. So when you got your first major injury, um, talk to us about the f initial feeling and how you got yourself to overcome that initial feeling and really overcome and really see light at the end of the tunnel. Talk to us about that journey. Um, I actually was quite fortunate. I didn't pick up um, any real injuries throughout my whole hockey career yeah. or even childhood. Um, and when I say serious, nothing that put me out for more than two weeks or a month. Oh, so, you know, I was spraining and I mean, I sprained both my ankles so many times. I can't even remember, mm -hmm. um, stupid stuff like stubbing your toe, which is, it sounds, I mean, I think Wayne Rooney, actually, you brought him up earlier. He did something to his foot, you know, yeah. before a world cup or something. Yeah. And, um, I know a lot, a lot of people were giving him abuse, but it's real. Like you can't, if you, if you lose one of your toes or like it's so bruised or you've got a slight fracture. Yeah. Um, I mean, mine was a collision with a goalkeeper. Um, you just can't move. You can't turn, you can't sprint, slow down. Um, so picking things up like that never really, um, affected me i knew it was short term it was frustrating seeing all your teammates and stuff train and you wanted to get out there um but my my first real one which was the scare was before the olympics because i didn't know if this was going to happen again yeah and i also um i really couldn't i mean when i was showering afterwards i really couldn't move it was really scary actually mm -hmm. um so i didn't know when I could come back and exert myself fully. And I was like, oh, cool. So the Olympics are in a couple of months. Well, I can't, I definitely can't tell anyone this because I was in contact with teammates and friends back home and GB would in our group and all that kind of stuff. And their number one goalkeeper was my club goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. And if we got a short corner against them or, you know, a set play, I don't want them knowing that I'm struggling with something which is basically going to affect how I execute whatever skill it is. Yeah. Um, so with that one and my knee ligament, I think it, it was 
learning to be patient and and really just when the physio says don't do anything right now really that doesn't mean you know sit back and if the lads want to go for a coffee um after training's done just kind of limp along with them that means stay in your hotel yeah um and so i think i overlooked that um the small things which probably just prolonged it a little bit Mm -hmm. further psychologically it's i guess it's just damaging in the sense that you then don't have the confidence that you probably did have because you're scared that you're going to do it again yeah um so maybe you hold back that little bit and instead of going into a tackle hard you just you go what am i going to get out of this am i going to get the ball and then just pass the ball backwards and what's the game looking like do i need to do this so there's a lot of stuff in real time actually that you're having to deal with um the knee ligament more i think got me really down because it was in my head i think it was i knew it was going to be the or one of the last tournaments i was going to play with brazil mm-hmm. um and my parents were flying out to the us and it was a load of things you know you got people who are rooting for you and you just don't want to let people down yeah um so again it's it's a stressful kind of process not just physically but but mentally as well yeah i think me and nathan talk about this a lot because there's there's certain footballers that we will not mention any names that <laughs> when they have I'll, do in- it. I'll do it for you <laughs> <laughs> when they have injuries um when they come back they are not the same and mm. you can clearly see they're not the same not because they haven't got the ability but because mentally something's hot like preventing them and something's holding them back so it's coming towards the olympics when you came back and you were fit again did you feel like oh i i don't know if i do this i might get injured again so let me just like stay stay okay and not push myself too much yeah not when it came to game day and it was the olympic time because this was it yeah. You know, there's holding back for what at that point? Yeah. As soon as I'd stepped foot on the pitch, I was an Olympian. As soon as I got a few minutes under the belt and nerves started to settle, um, what are you holding back for? You've literally been doing all the things for this. Yeah. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go out, then I'd rather go out on that stage than hold back and so yeah, there was th- that fear, and not very many people do know that I had that in the back of my mind because, you know, I got back up on my feet and I was training again. Mm-hmm. I think ten days after, um, but it was because it was my back. That's I think it was the region. That's why it scared me yeah. more than probably another place in my body. Um, but yeah, I didn't know how much I could really put through passes or small things where you're trying to deceive you just don't know how your body's going to react tomorrow yeah um not just in that game can you turn up again and play hard the following day um and i played every single minute of the olympics so i had that to think about um so yeah it it was no i didn't hold back but i was definitely the, the anxiety was was there for sure. Yeah. 
some of my favorite memories in team sport has been players running to their coaches and celebrating with them and what that signals to me is um, a togetherness, a cohesion amongst both um, coach and players. Can you talk to us about who was your personal favourite coach? You want me to name names? You can, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I just don't know whether, um, <laughs> you know, people will be able to take any value from that necessarily. Um, I guess the hockey community could. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were. I had a few coaches, and I think I know this sounds um, really easy to say, but I think I got something from all of them. Yeah. Um, I don't think I had a complete coach who I really felt got the best out of me, but there were definitely strong characteristics in multiple coaches, yeah. um, which allowed me to work on certain areas of my game. Um, and then assistant coaches are really helpful as well because they bring a different perspective. You hope you hope your coach doesn't bring someone who is just a, a copycat of them. You hope yeah. they bring something different. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there are a few. Um, I mean, Todd Williams was someone when I went to play for a team in um, London. Um he gave me a lot of attention one-on-one -on -one and helped me um, with set plays and first touch. And then Julian Hall's another one. He was very much, um, he was kind of a powerhouse. So he, instead of the kind of finesse sides of things, he was very much, um, you know, you, you, let me say this, Michael Jordan was his guy. Like he, he really looked to Michael Jordan. So it was win at all costs. Doesn't matter. You turn up, if you get hurt, you hurt them back or you kind of step up and you, you stand up for yourself. So that kind of, um, presence was, was important for me, um, being a younger player. And then, you know, the, another, another one that stands out for me is a good friend of mine, Quan Brown, who, um, a guy from Trinidad and is actually currently um, helping with the coaching um, for GB at this next Olympics in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, World-class player, very tactical. And he brought that aspect to my game, just made me, he was never my actual coach. Um, we became friends and we were playing against each other. And so his, um, he provided a lot of insight for me and made me just analyze and think about movement, deception, all the, all the things, the mind games as well. So, yeah, I think it's important to take take it upon yourself to try and take as much as you can from the coach you're with because you don't get to pick your coach um, if you're with a team, you know, unless you want to leave. But that's yeah. – which some players, of course, do that. But I stuck with a team, uh, a club, for most of my hockey days. It was my home club. So Me and Nathan talk a lot about – players that we love their mindset we love their mentality um, especially you see there's a few footballers that we think of like that and in tennis and other sports were there anyone that stood out to you in all sport that you just looked at their mindset their mentality and thought this is the type of thing that I need to be successful in my career um, yeah for sure and I you know the likes of Mike Tyson Cristiano Ronaldo mm. um, Floyd Mayweather 
I think the big, and those those of you who know sport or you know watch sport and and are kind of in touch with athletes of that caliber, I was seeking confidence as much as a lot of people may have said um, that I was quite cocky and arrogant. That was because I was quite insecure about a lot of things outside of hockey, actually, which came into hockey. Um, and so I needed that bravado and I needed that kind of, uh, yeah, that boost. So any, I was channeling whatever I could from people like that as much as possible. And sometimes you get it wrong because you, you go over the edge or you go too far with something and then it just doesn't feel natural to you. And then I think as time goes on, you kind of find your way of what feels right, what kind of person and athlete you want to be, um, how you want your players and your teammates um, around you, your colleagues to to see you, how you want to influence them. But those guys, for sure, the I always admire athletes who showed that they didn't care what you said to them, mm. that they just they would taunt you like Cristiano Ronaldo was a go-to for me. Yeah. And, um, you got, you guys know, yeah. um, the, the way, even to this day, the way he acts, um, it's just a level which is really useful in sport, yeah. but put aside like the petulance and stuff, the confidence that he brings and that's in himself is, um, that's something which I definitely I've done some coaching with some young players that I, you need that belief system. You need people to believe in you so that you can then build up. It's really important with young people for sure. Um, so I, that was important for me. Oh, I guess this is a random one. I just thought of it. Um, how do you deal with, player player conflicts because you mentioned earlier that when you was in the brazil national team you got into you know a, a mini confrontation um but at club i mean that would happen sorry to cut you off but yeah. i mean that would happen um regularly and i think yeah. any team you know when you've got people who want to win that's always happening but but yeah Sorry, go on. Yeah. So, how, how how did you how do you deal with um, player conflict? Um, because I guess some people. So, I won't mention names, but I was listening to a footballer, and he mentioned that there were a couple of high profile players that played in the same team regularly, but didn't talk at all. And but I'm thinking comparatively to myself, I don't think I'd be able to do that. It would have to get sorted out. So, yeah. how did you deal with um, player conflict? I definitely felt that in the Brazil team because, I mean, Brazil's a huge country, but you'd have some guys from down south and you'd have guys from up north. So they never see each other unless it's a training camp. Yeah. And because the funding was limited, um, those training camps were not um, frequent. So, yes, we have a chat group and, yes, people get to know each other over the years and you kind of you grow as a team and, and build friendships like that. Sometimes, you know, you look around the locker room and certain players are from that team, that club, that region of the country. They have they pronounce words that way. Um, they have that kind of slang. They have that kind of banter like it. You do see it. If you look in any changing room, I think it's hard not to. 
you hope that your your players kind of put that aside, but it, of course it doesn't happen all the time. I think it doesn't matter as long as you guys can perform on the pitch. Yeah. I didn't speak to some people and it wasn't because I disliked them or anything. It's just, just like, you know, you, there's some people you just aren't friends with and that's fine. Yeah. Some other people may find that difficult to deal with that they, they feel they need to be friends with everyone or on good terms with everyone. But, um, I really just wanted to win, have a few a few friends in the team and, and be able to get on well with as many people as I could. But ultimately, if we're doing our job, then it's all great. If there's a bust up on the pitch or in training, which um, has definitely happened, um, sometimes you, you recognize that it's just a pitch thing. So some, some people that I got involved with and had a heated whatever, um, either verbally or like, you know, we were physically kind of getting on top of each other and pushing each other around and, and stuff. Um, you know, as soon as we come off training, we're going to be absolutely fine. We won't even talk about it because we just know that's in our nature. Whereas if you're not as close with someone and you get into it with them on a training ground, you might then just get into your own cars, drive home, and then there's a little bit of tension there. Yeah. And um, you hope at, at kind of a, <laughs> at a professional level that people are going to pass you even if they don't like you or even if they've um, had an argument with you or something. But sometimes people don't. Some, some people look for certain players in, in a team to pass to. Yeah. Um, it does happen. Um, and it has split up and splintered teams. I've seen it firsthand and in other teams as well behind closed doors. So, um, yeah, a good manager, a good manager and a good coach, um, comes into play as well because then they recognize it and they, they provide the support and the outlet to talk and, and share and, and, and be vulnerable essentially with how you feel rather than just lock it up and turn up to game day and just say, yeah, it's fine when it's really not. Yeah, exactly. We, we see, we've seen that at many levels. I, I think about even myself when I've played team sport in the past and there's people that, that I've played well with, but I don't like them. So it's, at the end of the day, it's all about winning. It's all about yeah. winning. And if you've got that mindset that it's about winning, no matter whether our relationship is good or not, then you, you find a way. And then you, then you also pull in the fact of there are, always more there are always going to be people on your team who you trust the ball with more than others yeah and that can be difficult because and i've and some coaches that i've had have been really good with getting everyone to buy in to it doesn't matter and you wear a team and we pass to each other and it doesn't matter who it is and if that person messes up no one says anything to them because that then can bleed elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really, that can be really dangerous as well. So, but then I've also been in teams and around players who will come crashing down on you when you mistrap a ball. Mm. And then you don't want to trap the next ball if you're a young player or you don't have the confidence. Mm. Um, or the opposite, maybe that spurs you on. That's, and I think that's the, um, again, a skill from a coach or other players who recognize that, who they can push and pull and others who they need to stick an arm around and say, look, it's okay. 
try to do this next time or whatever. Some people do need to get shouted at and they, you know, they get better results, but it's definitely not um, a one size fits all approach. Yeah, I think me and Nathan have spoken about this a lot because <laughs> I'm the type of person that if you shout at me, I'm going to go into a hole. And obviously there's there's other pe- players that mm. if you shout at them, that's what's going to motivate them to mm. to get to, to a high level. And with the coach and manager, they have to be able to adapt to, to all type of players. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a time when a guy, he was you know, one of the best players in the world. And he, he shouted at me in a game for not making the right pass. And I remember it wasn't him shouting at me that bothered me because again, I was focusing on the next play. I knew and recognized that it wasn't the play to make, but it was the other team who then got in my ear and they're like, Oh, that player's not, happy with you and kind of then teasing you in that sense. And then you've got it from a different angle and you have to kind of listen to that. And it's, um, yeah, it's sports, incredibly psychological. Um, and no matter whatever, you know, no matter your physical shape or condition, if it's not, it doesn't even have to be right upstairs, but if it's not in tune at, at some level, then you're crippled and you won't be able to deliver even if you, as I said, got those physical attributes. 100%. 100%. Random one. Your Instagram. How many times do you go gym a week? <laughs> <laughs> right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, the last time I was in the gym was um, March 13th, 2020. Um, so when the pandemic um, hit, I made it yeah, I, I acted quickly and I tried to buy as much equipment as I as I could, mm-hmm. um, and just started setting up at home. So actually, I'm in a good place with with my stuff. I kind of got the the fundamentals, which I knew that I could, you know, squat, row, press, um, deadlift, all that kind of stuff. And then, so I'm not in a rush actually to get back into a gym and and um, I miss it for a lot of other reasons but um i'm actually yeah i'm all right um also how many times have i been to the gym it's none um but i try to train five times a week i try to lift five times a week yeah yeah but i'm not as tightly attached to that anymore i used to be because i used to train multiple times a day and now i try to remind myself to you know i don't need to do that anymore yeah um i can still enjoy it and and there will be less wear and tear on the body. Exactly. <laughs> Last question <laughs> to you. What would you say are the three things that are vital for someone to succeed at the highest level when it comes to playing hockey? Three things. Um, I think some someone said to me, if you don't love the sport, you'll get figured out sooner rather than later. So I think if you hide behind just being good, it will only get you so far and you'll get figured out by people who are good and also love it. And they will um, ruin you basically and it won't be fun. So I think it's important to to not just follow the thing that you um, are good at or have time for or want to put up with. I think it's really important to try and 
see the connection with it. So if you have a, a connection with hockey in particular, I think it's um, really important to try and expose yourself as much as you can to all things with it. So, you know, training in, in all types of weather, training with different players, different teams, um, seeing how you like it, spending time with it. You've really got to spend time. It's it's a team sport, but it's also a lonely sport. I think every sport is lonely, actually, because yeah. you you got to do a lot of self-growth, self-growth, rather, um, so that you can apply it in the team. So, um, yeah, the love and passion for it. I think you've got to give yourself patience. It's, yes, you know, some people don't get to to live their potential, but it's a long life. It's a long career when you start young. Mm. Um, so if you're a junior and you're just starting, you've got a long road ahead of you. Um, so yes, it's great to have that urgency, but also, and, you know, put pressure on yourself, but also give yourself a rest and, and uh, be patient with learning a, a new skill or learning a tactic or whatever it may be. And lastly, I think I think you've got to have a strong base and support system. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've played with players who have had, you know, both parents there, family around who play the sport, play sports, who encourage them and stuff. And I've played with other people who haven't had that. So if you're not as fortunate as as those people trying to surround yourself with people who are on that road already or trying to be on that road so that, you know, your goals and, and everything aligns. Otherwise, you'll get mixed up in other stuff and it will take your focus away. And um, again, you'll get found out at some point. So um, I think those three are probably my top ones. When you spoke about passion and you spoke about being found out, um, Edwin will know who I'm talking about. So there is a particular sports star that played for our team and it was long suspected that he didn't really like the game, but then mm -hmm. it came out in an interview that he didn't even watch it. So uh, as soon as he left playing the, that from that field, he wouldn't watch it. He didn't like it. He only mm -hmm. became a professional because his friend told him and he was very good at it and he knew he would make a lot of money. But it's really mm -hmm. interesting when you speak about being found out because actually at the start, of his time at our club. He was very good and, you know, everyone liked him. But then what ended up happening is he, he his performances started going down just a bit slowly, bit by bit. And you could see actually it was coming out more that he just didn't have a care in the world about the sport. So that was mm. really, really interesting that you mentioned that. So, yeah, I really, really, really appreciate that. Um mm. Steph, this was a really action-packed interview. Really, really enjoyed it. As I said at the start, both myself and Ed were looking forward to it. Um, hockey, we uh, believe, um, is not covered enough. And if this podcast can do anything in just giving the any coverage for hockey, um, we really hope it does because we, we believe that it's a very, very good sport. And like many of the other 
big high profile sports um you know you can get so much from it you can get the passion you can get those last minute goals you can get you know the fights you can pretty much get everything that you get mm-hmm. in those high profile sports so we really 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 encourage you um the listener if you haven't watched um, hockey please just please watch one game because I will say, I can promise you, you will really, really, really enjoy watching it. Um, so, yeah, Steph, really, really, really thank you. We're honoured for you to have come on. And if people want to get in contact with you, please fire away. How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. Um, you can um, find me on Instagram, stefan.vs. Um, Twitter is stefanvs. Website is stephvsfitness.com. Um, those I'm also on TikTok actually. I just started <laughs> doing a bit of that. So during this pandemic, I started um, I started going on that. So um, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, you can you can find me on that. That's stephvs. Um, so yeah, I'm. Uh, if you go to my website, you'll be able to see all the the handles for for my social media. But if you do stop by. Um, yeah, drop me a message and, and thank you for um, for interacting and, and following if you do. Um, but it's been great being on here, guys, with, with you two. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Um, I'm absolutely buzzing. Absolutely buzzing because, you know, this is something that this is really, you know, at the epicenter of why we started MindTalk. So outside, you know, really trying to bring um, psychology and, you know, bringing expert analysis in the field of performance and sports psychology, it's really about giving coverage to those sports that we truly believe are, is not get, are not getting the coverage. So again, I am absolutely buzzing and I'll be talking to Ed about this for the coming weeks, to be honest. So really, really thankful. Guys, if you are a new listener, welcome aboard. Um, if you are a regular listener, thank you very much. And please continue to listen and share. Um, guys, until next time, stay healthy and stay blessed. And we will see, we will see each other soon.